0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Breanne Shoman and I am joined today by Eric Fowler. Eric and I had a great conversation about trauma, both his personal journey with trauma, as well as how he is helping people today to learn how to better manage their trauma and become better humans. As humans, we have all dealt with trauma in some way. So I think everyone who listens to this episode will benefit from his story and what he has to share. So let's tune in. Eric, thank you for joining me today. How are you?
1: Well, doing well. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well,
0: I'm excited to have you here. You have quite a story and a journey and it's really brought you to what you do um, as a career now. And so I really want to dive into that because I think it's really relevant to a lot of people and just things that people deal with in their lives. So before we dive into that, though, um, just a little bit about yourself. Who are you?
1: Well, uh, I'm Eric Fowler. I'm a retired Army Command Sergeant Major, uh, 29 total years of service. And now I am the Program Director for Boulder Crest Foundation's facility in uh, Senoita, Arizona. Awesome.
0: And it's a lot of your story, your past history, which is what brought you to kind of what you're doing today. So I would just love for you to share that story with the listeners um, as much or as little as you feel comfortable diving into, but um, I would just love for you to dive into some of that.
1: Sure. You know, we, we talk a lot about how, uh, well, what we do is, is help veterans and first responders struggling with PTSD and anxiety and depression. And we have found that a lot of that comes from their childhood. Uh, we think it comes from combat, but a lot of it comes from childhood. So uh, I'll start from there. As far as, uh, for me, my parents are both, uh, products of, you know, Michigan farmland. And, uh, my father, uh, joined the coast guard back in the late sixties and moved us, uh, moved my mother and him out to New York. So I was born on Long Island, uh, way out on Long Island, New York back in 1970. Um, A few years after that, uh, my my father decided or came out or whatever uh, that he was gay and my mother was not okay with that. So they went through a divorce. Uh, He eventually, many years later, uh, died of AIDS from from that lifestyle uh, in the early 90s. But uh, at, at that time, my mother took my sister and I. We moved back to Michigan. We stayed about five years in and around her family in Central Michigan. And she remarried my stepfather, um, who, the guy who's now my stepfather. And in 1982, we moved to Wyoming. And that's really where I call home because I spent middle school, high school, and college in Wyoming. And while I was in, uh, or finishing up high school, I joined the Wyoming Army National Guard and spent four years doing that while I was going to college uh, as a truck driver. I uh, got a theater degree of all things an associate's degree in theater uh, over 30 years ago now at this point. And as soon as I did that, I, I joined the regular army in 1991 and I spent 25 years on active duty with the army, uh, five years as a, as a gunsmith and 20 years as a military intelligence, uh, NCO non-commissioned officer. I did, uh, two deployments before 9-11, uh, three combat one-year deployments after 9-11, and even did a, uh, a 15-month unaccompanied tour in South Korea uh, toward the end of my career. And uh, came back to the States, to the Intel Center here in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And two weeks after I got back from Korea, the Chief of Staff calls me in and says, thanks for your service, but we're over strength, and you're out. And gave me my, my, essentially my pink slip. So I had a few months to get my act together and get ready to get out. I was at least allowed to retire and uh, did all that, did all the medical stuff, you know, got myself ready to go, lined up a nice contractor job. And uh, the, the night before I signed out on my transition leave out of the army, my 22-year-old son was killed in a motorcycle accident. So at the same time, literally within 24 hours of the, the end of the only career I ever had, and, I, and I'd lose my only son at, at the same time. So uh, I didn't deal with any of that, just like I'd never dealt with my father and all those other things you know, from my childhood. Um, I just threw it in my rucksack, and I immediately went to work as a, as a government contractor I volunteered for every single veterans organization I could, you know, claiming that I was helping people, you know, quote unquote, helping people. Uh, and really what I was doing is making myself so busy that I had to avoid or I could avoid dealing with anything, uh, anything dealing with emotions, especially or feelings. And uh, I just got up every day. I went to the gym. I worked hard. And all my spare time was spent with uh, you know, the veterans stuff. And I just drank myself to sleep every night, got up and did it again. And I, I thought that's what my life was going to be. Uh, I would just keep grinding until I retired. And then I would grind at something else and die eventually. And that was it. And about two 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 and a half years into that, uh, through my veterans connections, I, I actually went to the grand opening of this facility here in Arizona, and at least discovered Boulder Crest. And I had no, no thought of ever working here or, or going through a program or anything, uh, but I did at least get to know that it was here. And some months after that, uh, my, my current boss, Joe Wood, um, got a position as the executive director here. And a couple of months after that, this position as program director opened up and he offered it to me so, you know, without much deliberation, I said, absolutely, I'll do it. You know, and just like everybody else here, uh, I, I took a pay cut. I doubled my commute. I spend at least 25% of my time uh, here, full time living here, running our, uh, our programs. And it's worth every bit of it. Uh, this, this program, the main program or the, I guess the flagship, if you will, is Warrior Path and that's a seven-day resident program followed by an 18-month uh, virtual, You know, the team stays together virtually and continues their learning and growing. And it's uh, focused on post-traumatic growth. So that's what we, we train folks on how to experience post-traumatic growth and live the good life or the great life that they've earned through their, through their service and through their struggles. So, not only going through the program, but uh, living it month after month for the last three years has really changed my life. Uh, it really forced me to deal with the, the things my childhood, uh, you know, the divorce, all the other things as a child, uh, certainly my military experiences, the loss of my son, all of those things. So, uh, I mean, after three years of of living this lifestyle and teaching it, I'm able to you know, just rattle these things off without getting all caught up in the emotions and things like that. And these are, as I've discovered that, you know, I thought it was abnormal what I'd gone through all these things. It's not abnormal. Frankly, many, 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 most people go through these things or similar things like this. Um, So that's really what got me here uh, to Boulder Crest and, and doing this program and got me to this point in my life. Uh, where, you know, being, uh, I'm, I'm 51 years old, hopefully, you know, halfway or less through my life. And I'm hoping that the rest of my life, uh, is just a journey, uh, upward further into thriving, uh, from here. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. Certainly.
0: How often are you finding like the people you work with, um, how often are you finding that people are very much doing the same thing that you did in the sense of just like, let's just stay busy and I don't have to deal with all of this stuff that I'm experiencing right. in my life?
1: It's frankly, it's probably the vast majority of the people that come through here. Um, if they've done any work on themselves at all, uh, they'll do kind of similar things. Well, you know, they'll go volunteer for the VFW, the American Legion, DAV, whatever it is or maybe join you know the uh, combat vets motorcycle association or something else like that that keeps them so busy that they don't have to deal with what it is uh, that they they have in their in their rucksack that they're carrying around so i would say if if not everybody it's the vast majority will do that and the yeah. ones that aren't doing that are uh, self medicating drinking drugs sex whatever it is Uh, that keeps them from feeling whatever pain it is.
0: Yeah, I I think a lot of people and, you know, it's kind of those things. We do need to have our whatever you want to word you want to use for vices or whatever to, you know, be able to just at least escape the stresses of life temporarily. But I think so many times it's we then just like it becomes this addictive habit of like, oh, if I just do this all the time, then like I'm fine. And we never truly, or a lot of people never truly deal with that just underlying issue. It's just these keep doing.
1: Right. Well, you know, a lot of the folks that come through here and just in the world in general just say, oh, it's just me. You know, I'm, I'm just a jerk. You know, it's just my personality. I'll never change. This is the way I grew up. Well, they're right about one thing. And it's, that is the way you grew up. You know, we do what we were trained to do. There's no owner's manual for kids and, uh, you know, for raising children, you know, my parents did the best they could, their parents did the best they could, and they're all screwed up. Everyone. I screwed up raising my kids. (laughs) I I was wildly imperfect, uh, raising my children. And I can freely admit it now. And that's, you know, it's how we were trained to be. And then the military and, uh, first responders, the the organizations take those damaged people that want to do good things and serve others and they train them up to a razor's edge with that stuff. And they, they, they use it. They use those, you know, these damaged people and use them for 5, 10, 30 years, whatever it is. And then like me, uh, you know, when I retired after 20, 29 years of service, there's a lot of schools in there, years and years of schooling, how to be a soldier, how to be an intelligence analyst, all those things. I got five days of how to write a resume. That was how I was unleashed back into society after all these years of training on how to how to kill people how to break things, how to, you know, all this stuff that you learn as a soldier, you know, and as a, as a first responder, those are, it's very useful. I survived years and years of combat because of that. But what we do to these folks is give them absolutely no training on how to go back out. How do you be a civilian, just a civilian? How do you do that? How do you deal with the things that you've seen? You know, cops and firemen and EMTs see a lot more horrific you know, damage to human bodies than I ever saw. I'll just be honest with you. And they see it every single day. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me that uh, the vast majority I'll say of police and fire departments do nothing. I mean, nothing for these people, for their mental health, knowing full well that they're seeing these horrific things every single day. And it's just accepted that that's part of the job. So what do you do? you do what the previous generation did, you drink, you know, you do drugs, you find you go through multiple marriages and you know, they just view that as, well, this is, this is normal. This is what, I'm a a cop, I'm a fireman, I'm whatever. I've had three divorces and I got five kids and I'm paying most of my paycheck and child support. And I just get drunk every night. You know, I sit in my chair and I go like this to the remote through you endlessly all day long, whenever I'm not at work. And then they do everything they can to stay at work because at work, they're completely engaged. They're completely different people at work. And it's, it's really wild to see the dichotomy uh, with, especially on that side, the first responder side of the house, because they're fully engaged. They're funny. They're smart. They're you know street smart. They got all these great skills at work. And then what we find is they come home to the people they say they love and they say they care about, and they say they're doing all this for them and just treat them like garbage. They isolate from them or they abuse them in in many instances and they, they self-medicate so they don't feel the pain of what they're dealing with at work. So what do you got left for your family? Mm -hmm. Nothing. And that's where, uh, most of those cats frankly come to us because of that because they know they're treating their families poorly they're not handling this stuff well and uh, they they look to us to help train them on how, how to be a better person before they become another statistic
0: very interesting um do you find a lot of compartmentalization going on with these people too
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I I mentioned the rucksack, and of course, it's a metaphorical rucksack. You know, you're you're born, you're issued this rucksack to carry carry on your back, a backpack, whatever you want to call it. And all these things happen to us in our lives. You know, our parents divorce, our dad goes to prison, or whatever. You know, the you know I see dead burnt bodies in the streets of Baghdad. All this stuff, we don't deal with that. We don't process it. We just, we make a rock out of it. We hold that rock in our hand and I'll deal with you later. And I stick it in my rucksack and I just carry that literal and figurative weight of that thing that I'm dealing with for, in many cases, forever. Uh, if you don't deal with it, and then the problem with, with that, you know, that's compartmentalizing right there. Literally, I'm putting it in, mm-hmm. a, in a compartment separate from my head. I'm just putting it in my rucksack and I'll deal with it later. But we don't. And the, the issue is a rucksack has a limited capacity. So you can keep filling that thing up with these big rocks. and you know, all this, you know, I had to kill people. I you know I couldn't save my buddy, whatever it was that goes in your rucksack. And eventually that rucksack, the straps start to fray. You know, the bottom starts to fall out of that thing. And we, we stitch it up. We put duct tape on it to try and keep it. You know, these are the Band-Aids that we're giving, the coping mechanisms. And, you know, I, I, I use a shoelace to tie my straps back on and I keep cobbling this thing together to keep going, to keep going through life and keep saying, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this. And we never do it. And then eventually, what usually happens is it's a little tiny rock, a little one. You know, your, your, your kid leaves their dirty clothes on the floor or your wife says something that makes you mad or whatever. It's a little rock, not a big one, but that little rock, you try to toss that one in your rucksack. And that's the one that overwhelms the rucksack. And everything you've been carrying explodes on that person who did the final thing. And this is why we often see, uh, and I was very guilty of this as I was raising my children, is just lose my mind abusive, quite frankly, definitely verbally abusive, Uh, lose my mind at at my children for pretty minor, you know, childhood stuff. And it wasn't about that thing that the kid did. It was all that stuff that was, you know, that I've been carrying around in my rucksack all launched at the wrong target because, you know, they didn't do anything to deserve all of that. They did something to deserve a little a little bit of discipline or whatever, but not all of that. And that compartmentalization is great in the short, very short term. Uh, it is not helpful in the long term because you will reach your capacity at some time. And it will almost inevitably be released on the wrong person for the wrong thing.
0: So when you're working with your people at, in your programs um, and even just yourself working through this, like what sort of things are, as we're starting to take those rocks out of that rucksack and deal with things, what sort of things are you noticing changing in whether it's like physically, mentally, personality wise, what, like, what big, like things are happening?
1: Uh, one of the biggest ones is just, is dealing properly with stress uh if you just you know as in the army or that that type of environment definitely in the first responder side like it is brag I'll say Brad, you have bragging rights for how much stress you can carry you know it's we're impressed by how how much stress a, a guy can handle uh and it's just ridiculous that we reward that behavior and we usually reward it by giving them more stress. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't ever get less. If you've proven you can handle it, you're only going to get more. Uh, I've I personally experienced it many times. So one big way is properly releasing uh, the stress that's going to happen. You know, one of the things we, we, we tell folks is, you know, the, the normal ups and downs of life are still going to happen even if you come to Boulder Crest and you let go of whatever it is that's been bothering you for all these years, when you go home, the water heater going to break. You know, the car is going to break down. Those things, your kids are going to make you mad. Still, just because you're getting better doesn't mean those things aren't going to happen. So finding healthy ways to release stress is one of, one of the keys. I used to be a huge yeller and screamer you know I'd get mad and throw things around and you know I'm a pretty big dude that's a pretty scary scene uh, to have happen so you know now I find healthy ways to do it and we're talking uh, practices like um, you know, just working out you know I still get up at five o'clock every morning and go I have a gym at my home so I'm able to just go outside and hit the gym for an hour come back in you know Get showered and changed and go to work. And I have this great routine, which for me is tremendous. Uh, I have I have to have it. In other practices, uh, transcendental meditation or any kind of meditation is a great one. Um, we teach some things like archery or other healthy habits. You know, um, and archery is a great one, it just as on the metaphorical side. Because you are literally pulling back something under tension and releasing it in a healthy way at the correct target, which kind of goes back to the rucksack Mm -hmm. thing, you know, when it explodes. If you pull back and hold that stress endlessly, if you've ever held a bow for too long, you start to shake and you get all crazy. And when you finally release it, it goes nowhere near where it was meant to go. You hit something else. It's the same... Same type of thing. You know, if we don't handle stress properly and release it properly, the, the, it will release eventually whether you want it to or not. Uh, and if it's not in a healthy way, it's not going to go in a healthy direction. So uh, yes, a, a number of practices uh, for healthy release of stress. And, and a, another big one that I'll share is just disclosing these things uh, that, that we're carrying in our rucksack we find that you know you pull that rock out whatever it was and you know you know my, my father's was gay you know when I when 1989 when I first learned that in Wyoming that was not okay you know you, you didn't talk about that stuff you know knowing someone with AIDS that kind of thing was not okay and I never ever told anybody that. Um, while I was in the army ever, not until I got this job that I ever shared that with anybody. And now I I can share with anybody because it's the truth And you know, that's, that's what happened. I take that, take that thing out of my rucksack. And as soon as I show it to you and tell you what happened and how it made me feel and all that other stuff, the power, the weight of that thing is gone and I can just drop it and leave it wherever i want to leave it. Uh, the memories are still there, you know, we're not we're not you know taking anyone's memories away or anything like that. but the power of that thing holds over you when you share it with someone else is tremendous uh, and and just letting that stuff go. so a lot lots of different practice about 30 different practices we teach and many of them are just you know it doesn't have to be that particular one. You know, one example would be transcend. We teach transcendental meditation, but it doesn't have to be that. If mindfulness is your thing, you know, you know, Zen Buddhism, whatever, whatever it is, some some kind of quiet time every day to just meditate in whatever way. You know, think deeply about something, or just clear your mind, whatever it is. Having that a uh, few minutes. 20 minutes, whatever it is, every day to just stop and process the things that have gone on through your day. So lots of things like that.
0: Do you find that people, is there, well, is there a common, I don't know if reason is the right word, but is, is there a common trend be, behind like why people tend to bottle things up as far as like shame or guilt or fear or, or is it just very, does it vary between person to person?
1: a lot of it goes back to the training you received as a child. Uh, personally, I, I mentioned, you know, my parents are, are come from a Michigan farmer background. So if, if you're a farmer, I, I know generally speaking, this is all, you know, vague generalizations. You, my family doesn't talk about feelings at all. I mean, they just don't talk about, deep stuff. Like it's kind of strange, like the, it's, you're not deliberately avoiding it. It just never happens at all. So I always, when I started this job, one of the big things I said about myself was that I can't think deep thoughts. Like I'm smart, but I don't think about why am I here? You know, what's it all about? What's my purpose in life? And that's the kind of, that's my upbringing, hundred percent. You know, my, my grandmother, my mother's mother Never talked about feelings or anything like that. It, they were talking about the crops, the animals, and the weather. And that's it. And if something bad was happening in the family, you just don't talk about it. Or if you do, it's in very low tones so that no, you know, nobody knows that you're talking about it. So anytime anybody struggles, they just don't deal with it. It's even if it's you know a major thing, it's just not dealt with at all. So that's one example for me is that that's what I was trained to do when I saw bad things or had to do bad things. I didn't talk about that stuff, um, especially early in my career. I had no no way to regulate myself at all uh, as a as a younger man as, at the toward the end of my career, I'll say the last You know, five or six years uh, as a sergeant major, um, maybe even as a first sergeant, I finally started reaching out to. I'm not a religious guy, but I would talk to our chaplains, talk to our mental health professionals, because that's the other thing that we're trained to do uh, in the military specifically is when you got a problem and you need to share it with somebody, it's only the chaplain or the mental health professionals. So that's what I did. And I would go and tell them what was going on. And just the, just the act of telling someone, like I said, about disclosure, usually was enough for me personally to, uh, to get through whatever it was, just sharing it with somebody else. Because the, and the reason why we do this, is because it's weak. If you share your stuff, you think this is mostly in our, a construct of our own minds, Uh, If I share this with someone, I'll be seen as weak. You know, I'm a big, tough first sergeant or sergeant major or whatever. I can't go out in front of the troops and say, you know, I'm going through a medical issue and it's really messing with my head and I'm not in a good way right now. You know, that's just not done. You wouldn't even consider that, which is huge, especially in the active duty folks. We've had a few come through, uh, but that mindset is still there. it's 2021 and people still will believe or know for a fact that their chain of command will hold it against them if they go get help. So that's a real challenge for folks that are still in it every single day. Veterans, you know, retirees, that kind of thing, they're more open to sharing those things, but they will absolutely not tell people. I I just, we have, have a guy coming in today that's He has to maintain um, FAA certifications. He flies or flies UAVs or something for a living. So he fears, and I don't know how true it is, that if he seeks professional help, that he will lose his certification to fly.
0: Interesting.
1: So why would you go get help? It's going to ruin my life if I go get help. That is the perception, whether it's true or not. Um, Probably is to some degree. Uh, But I mean, every uh, organization is different. So if you have a more enlightened chain of command or a supervisor, then no problem. Uh, If you got some of these, uh, I'll say knuckleheads that uh, just, you know, kind of these old knuckle draggers that think you got to just suck it up and drive on all the time, then you may be endangering your career by doing that. So it's a real challenge for people. We're, and it, that leads to you know, the, the fact we are, we are not clinical at all. We are not clinicians. This is not a medical facility. We just do training. So if you take a week off work and you come see us, there's no record of that at all. So that's you know, one of the, the, I guess, the positive things about us is we are not in that environment. We are just a a training opportunity. If you want to call it professional growth, whatever, uh, that's what we do is train people and and we don't do therapy.
0: Okay. That's good to know. Now let's take a quick break to talk about equip foods. Equip foods is a supplement line, but what I really love about them is their products are made with 100% real food products. There's no fillers, there's no chemicals, there's nothing artificial in it. So everything that you are putting into your body when you consume their products is good for you. And they don't just have the normal protein and pre-workout type supplements. They also have products for decreasing inflammation, for joint health, for circulation, for all sorts of things that just help you be an overall healthier person. So go check out everything Equip Foods has to offer at Equip, E-Q-U-I-P, foods.com. And at checkout, if you use code F-I-X-15, that is F-I-X-1-5, you can save 15% on your order. You can also get a link to Equip Foods and all my other partners at GetYourFixPT.com slash partners. And now let's get back to our conversation. Are you, you, you talked a little bit just, just now as far as these stigmas that are still there. Are you noticing as mental health is getting a little bit more on the forefront about that stigma starting to shift a little bit?
1: Uh, it's, this is, and we don't like to badmouth mental health. Uh, the challenge is there are thousands and thousands of, of awesome mental health professionals that do great work and want to do great work. And really want to help people. Uh, our our view of it is the system of mental health is a wreck. It's an absolute wreck, especially for uh, for veterans. You know, working with the VA, it's it is absolutely embarrassing how bad the system is. And one of the ways we describe it is generally, you know, someone has something traumatic or or a series of traumatic things happen to them. So they're, they're kind of going along this line of life, something bad happens and they drop down and they hit, we'll call it rock bottom, whatever that is. So you're, you're just, you're just not killing yourself. That's all you, that's all you're at. You're surviving at that level. And generally in the system, the mental health system, a clinical success is bringing someone up, having a 30% reduction in symptoms is a success. And they will, uh, for whatever reasons, mostly having to do with you know money, how much the insurance will pay for, once you get someone up to that 30% better than they were, now we're coping. So we went from survival, now we're coping at 30%. And, and the system basically forces these, these doctors and, and, and clinicians to say, that's, that's all we can do for you you know this is your new life and we have literally have people come in here that were told that by these professionals saying hey you got PTSD this this is your new normal welcome to it here's a here's a bottle of pills and we'll give you 100% disability cuz you're so screwed up you can't be out in polite society and now you got a guy who's 30 years old got maybe another you know, 50 to 70 years of life ahead of him with a bottle of pills and that's it. You know, maybe some more therapy every once in a while. That's all the help he's going to get. So they're really sentenced to this diminished version of themselves. You were at 100% having this normal life. You went down in the crapper to, to rock bottom. We got you out to 30%. So you're not killing yourself. You're not killing anybody else. You're good you know, but you're just coping at that point. That's not life. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's usually what we see from, from the clinical side of things. And then, you know, what, what we're focused on or what many folks that come here are looking for is two things. One is those coping mechanisms that I just talked about that, you know, the mental health profession generally says, that's the best we can do is, is get you to cope with life. And that's, you know, all the getting a service dog, getting the buckets full of pills, you know, putting you on disability so you don't have to work and deal with the stress of that kind of stuff. That's coping. But a lot of them want to get back to their old life. You know, this this was life. We dipped down. I just want to get back. I want to be the man or woman I was before. Well, it's never going to happen. I mean, that, that life is gone because of what you went through. You are fundamentally changed because of not necessarily the trauma itself, but the after effects of that trauma. You're changed. You're never going back to your old life. You know, and what we focus on here is going beyond that old life, beyond coping, beyond getting back to the way you were, to thriving and being a better human being than you were before whatever your trauma was. That's the focus here is that post-traumatic growth using Whatever happened to you, whether it was your childhood or combat or like you know, on the streets as a cop or a fireman or EMT, using that, the skills that you learned and repurposing them and giving you control over those skills so you use them appropriately. Uh, one of the, the things that we talk about, again, you know, a metaphor is giving you control over the dimmer switch. So all those useful skills that I was trained on for 29 years, how to survive, how to survive in combat, you know, the, uh, you know, being hypervigilant, all those useful things, you know, looking for threats all over the place, that's still useful. I mean, that helps me to do other things if I take control over that dimmer switch. Me sitting, you know, not being able to sit with my back to the door in a restaurant is not useful. You know, I can kick because of what I've done with you know growing from this. I can dial that switch back, dial that dimmer switch back, and if I have to have my back to the door, I can have my back to the door. Would I prefer to see the whole place? Absolutely, but if I have to, I'm okay, and I can still enjoy my meal and enjoy the company of people around me because I have control over the dimmer switch because I know. I recognize what I went through, what it did to me and what I can do to maintain control over it. So that's, that's what we look for with a lot of these practices we teach is just get some space, you know, gain, gain a few seconds. So instead of reacting to these things that happen in life, we can just respond to it. You know, loud noises don't bother me. Loud noises happen, you know, in, in this world, whether it's civilian or military. But because I, I don't have my hypervigilance cranked to 11 all the time, I can respond to a loud noise appropriately. And sometimes that loud noise is a bad thing. <laughs> you know, it happens. We just, you know, how many school shootings have we had in the last few days? You know, it, you, it is appropriate to react at 11 at times. But having have you having control over that dimmer switch prevents you from always being at 11 all the time, regardless of the situation, to dial it back to what's more appropriate for the environment that you're in.
0: I think it's a great reminder too, that those triggers are always going to be there. Like that's just part of life. And it's just a matter that we do need to figure out like what works for us in order to respond appropriately in those situations when those triggers do happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like you said, it's, that's normal life. Life is not going to stop, you know, cars aren't going to stop backfiring just because you're scared of loud noises. That, that's, that's life. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. These things are going to happen. Why? The victim mentality is, you know, why is this happening to me? Why is all this, you know, it's all focused at me. That car does not care about you. It doesn't even know about you. The driver of that car doesn't know you or care about you. It's just something that happens you're the only one believes that it was directed at you. You know, all those jerks that we see that that cut us off on the highway and that kind of thing, that guy doesn't care about you. They're not paying attention to you. They're focused on whatever's going on inside their car. So to take it personally, every time these things happen is a, is a victim mentality. We feel, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's, why is this happening to me? It's all directed at me. And that is not a healthy way to be to feel that the world is coming, you know, is dumping all this on you. And I I used to feel the same way. Absolutely. You know, I felt that, um, you know, specifically one of the last things was, you know, I I got to retire. I made it through this whole career. I'm going to retire. They pinned a, a, a great medal on my chest and told me how wonderful I was. And literally at the same time, my son dies. So I feel like, or I felt like at the time I can't get anything good because it will be counteracted with something bad. And I really felt that way because I could point out instances throughout my, my life where that had happened. I, that's what I felt. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know is that's just life. Those things were going to happen regardless. But my attitude of looking at those things is being directed at me is that, you know, God or the gods or whatever it is was pointing at me and say, screw that guy in particular. You know, I got something for you. That's not how it's going how it's happening. It's normal. These are normal things that happen to everybody all the time. And the only thing that changes is your mindset toward that thing and how you let it affect you. So it's, and that's very much a, a, you know, a stoic philosophy it's not the thing that happened. It's your view, your view toward it, how you react to it. That's the problem or potentially the problem.
0: Yeah. It's, I've, it's something I try to keep in perspective, especially driving. Cause everyone knows that can be a very frustrating time <laughs> dealing with other people. And um, I've heard a couple of different things over the years. And one of them being like, how do you know, like that person in the car, who's like weaving in and out of traffic, isn't trying to get to their wife who's in labor at the hospital. Or how do you know that slow person's not a like, student driver, just learning how to drive. And they're like, we don't know what's going on in other people's worlds. Like we know what's going on in our world, world and that's it.
1: Right. You know, that's it goes back to, to having some empathy for other people and realizing the same, same thing that, you know, you're driving fast for, I'm late for work, you know, mm-hmm. my kid's sick, whatever it is, that person could very well be having exactly the same thing going on in their life. You know, and just taking a minute, you know, instead of giving them the finger or cussing and swearing or you know, this road rage stuff, how about you take a couple of seconds and literally take a breath? You know, do a, do we we teach a, a breathing technique, but any particular breathing technique, just pause for a few seconds, take a couple of breaths and don't react to whatever it is, whether it's driving or anything else. And it's amazing to me. How, you know, just pausing and gaining a little distance on this action, you know, gives me the ability to respond instead of react. Because we are in our environment, you know, military and first responders, you're taught to react and you're rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. You know, you react to contact. Something happens, you immediately react to it, take an action. There's books on this, manuals on it. I do these things that you're, again, you're rewarded for that behavior. But when I'm having a conversation with my wife that takes a turn, I don't like, and I take the same reaction with the knife hand or the yelling or whatever it is, that is wildly ineffective, first of all, (laughs) and and not very pleasant for either one of us. and, And frankly, how we managed to stay married for 31 years is beyond me because I didn't know any of this for so many years. And I treated my family like crap way too often because I was trained to do it. You know, and that I just look at with regret at so many of these incidences over the year or over the years where, uh, you know, and teach as I teach, some of these things, I bring, bring it up, you know, just think, think of an argument you had with your significant other, where if you had just paused for, 30 seconds. And even just tell them, Hey, give me 30 seconds. And I'll be right back. Take a walk, catch your breath, get grounded, whatever it is, what a difference that would have made in that conversation Mm -hmm. before you said anything, you just said, I'm going to take 30 seconds to catch my breath and just pause. And what a difference. And, and every time I say that in front of a group, it's nothing but big, head nods from, from everybody that comes through because they know, they know they do it. They know it's wrong. They know it's not helping their family, but they just don't know how to stop. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, you know, wh- where we come in is the how everybody says, let it go. Right. Oh, just let it go. I got a candle sitting in the other room. Let that shit go. Uh, okay. <laughs> and all these, all these vets and, and first responders are like, I'd love to. How, (laughs) how do I do this? So that's what we teach is the how, how to do it. These these 30 practices, you pick the ones that work for you, that are, that are work in your life and your lifestyle and what you're willing to commit to and just do them, do them every day, make those changes and you will see a change in your life. So it's very rewarding to do that stuff and to see the growth just in seven days is amazing. Uh, And, and, you know, many folks, this is one of the key points for what we do is once you leave here with the training we've given you, it's on you. It's your, your wellness is your responsibility. Now you can't say, I don't know how. anymore. Now it's about how much effort you're going to put in and the attitude you're going to maintain while you do it. It's your choice. You can do it or not do it. You can come here for seven days and have a great time and eat great food and see this beautiful ranch. And when you go home, you can go right back to the crap you were doing before. And if you do, don't blame us. (laughs) We trained you. We told you what to do or what you could do. You have to do the work. And it it is hard, hard work to change. You know, in my case, 51 years of, of of learning and you know how, how I was brought up for all those years, you know, 48 years before I learned how to do this stuff. That's a long time. It's not going to change overnight. You know, it's 29 years in the army. I, you can't change all of that in one, in one week. Mm-hmm. You know It takes some hard work to do it. I've been doing it three years. I've been here uh, at Boulder Crest three years and I still am growing and, and changing and, and no, you know, I, my daughter just uh, just last week, I was changing some light fixtures in our house and she's just staring at me the whole time. And at the end, she, and I'm looking at her like, what, what's your problem? And she said, every time you've ever done this kind of work before, you end up screaming and swearing and carrying on and yelling and grumbling and you know, all this negative behavior. And she said, for the last year, you haven't done that. So, I mean, that's the kind of timeline we're talking about. I've been doing this for three years and, that, and I'm just still getting reactions like that from, from my loved ones that really, you know, and every few months, my wife will kind of do something similar where she'll pick up on, hey, you're not, you're not doing that thing that you used to do and really realize it's been a long time since I did that thing. And you just, you know, you finally got in the habit of recognizing it's not there anymore. And those are, it's tremendously rewarding for me and and for our students to see those. Uh, But it's sometimes challenging for folks to recognize that it's going to be longer than just a week Mm -hmm. for for these changes to happen.
0: Well, that's awesome to hear those changes in yourself. Um, Now, you mentioned the vets and first responders. Is that, are those the only groups of people Bowler Crest allows in? Or you bring like anyone who wants to come in can come to the program?
1: No, we're pretty limited to that, uh, our, our capacity. So we're this facility is just one of, uh, of 10 at the, or nine at the moment. Uh, we three are Boulder Crest, uh, Virginia, Boulder Crest, Arizona, and Boulder Crest mobile training team. And then we are partnered with uh, several other organizations nationwide that, that basic, basically it's a franchise thing. We we created Warrior Path. We train these other organizations how to do it, and they do it in in addition to whatever programs they're already running. Okay. And a lot of this is done through uh, the Gary Sinise Fund or Gary Sinise Foundation Avalon Network, which is up up on their Facebook page and their website all the time. So it's basically that's kind of the umbrella is the Gary Sinise Avalon Network. And we are on the training side of that, all these organizations. And then there's another part of it, which is the brain health side or the medical side as well. And that network is still growing. But our, our, our issue is, part of our issue is, you know, I can only train up to eight people a month at this facility uh, okay. in these programs. So eight times 12 is 96. That's my max. And then multiply that times the other eight, Currently, eight other organizations, whatever the math is on that. That's a pretty limited number of people. So at the moment, we're pretty limited to the main focus is on post 9-11 combat veterans. Uh, We are starting to make inroads into first responders. Uh, A lot of work on police. We're starting to move into uh, fire and EMT, that that kind of thing. There have been a select few um, civilians that have come through, um, you know, not, didn't fit in one of those categories, uh, but very, very few. So it's, re- it's definitely not open to just you know, everybody on the street. The focus is first on combat vets um, from this, this current generation, you know, uh, post 9-11. We have, we have taught quite a few Vietnam era veterans as well and even some earlier than that, uh, but it's it's not the focus. Uh, and, but we we do get them in occasionally, and then you know those first responders, really first responders that have been in uh, a critical incident. Let's say you're you're a police officer involved in a in a shooting or something like that. Those kinds of you know an event. If you're a cop long enough, you're going to be in critical incidents. So. And it definitely with your know, fire and EMTs as well. I mean, that's what you do every single day is deal with critical incidents. So uh, we we do we do bring those folks in. Uh, it's a it's getting to be a fair number, and we're doing some work at this moment growing that first responder side with some specific police and fire departments and that kind of thing across the country. Uh, that that haven't fully come to fruition but we're in that process of bringing them out there
0: okay thank you if someone has kind of closed this out if someone has any questions for you about anything that you've talked about boulder crest or are just looking for information where can they find you at
1: the the best place to go is is www.boldercrest.org and that is our website and that gives uh there's, there, In fact, we just updated the website within the last couple of weeks. So there are tremendous resources on there. There are links to the programs, Warrior Path, Couples Path, uh, Family Rest and Reconnection Stays, uh, Songwriting with Soldiers programs. There's links, links to all of those things and videos that show what it is and show the facilities and that type of thing. Uh, and that's where warrior path, for instance, you sign up right from that website. You click on the link, it'll have you fill out a questionnaire, you know, who you are, what's your experience, what are you struggling with those kinds of things. And then, you know, basically that, that gets to my inbox. I turn you over to one of our path guides that work for me and they will do a a zoom interview with you and decide if, if we're a good fit, you know, it's not for everyone. You know, we have to, like I said, we're, we're limited in our capacity, so we have to get the right people in here. A couple of things, speaking of that, we are not. We are not an acute care facility. Uh, if someone is actively suicidal, we are not for you. It's, you honestly need to go to the emergency room, the VA, whatever, immediate acute care for you. We just don't do it. We can't do it. Uh, generally, it's about three months or so to get into a program. So it's not a very fast thing. And that's just the nature of, you know, one program a month and we have them filled about 90 days out. So uh, another thing, we are not drug and alcohol rehab. If you are actively, uh, heavily abusing drugs and or alcohol, you need to go to a rehab facility for that first. And generally we're looking for folks to be fully sober for at least 90 days uh, to, to have the capacity to handle what they're going to go through here. So just a couple of, you know, a couple of things that if, if you're looking for fast, you know, instant help, I'm getting a program tomorrow, that's not gonna happen. And uh, you know, those active drug and alcohol problems, those are a couple of, of big ones for us. We're also looking for folks that are. You know, at least stable with their housing and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying we don't, we won't take anyone who's struggling with these things. Uh, but we really have to work through how well they're they're handling those issues in their life before we want to bring them in here. Uh, these these programs are are it's very demanding when you're talking about dealing with things that you haven't dealt with in your entire life. It's really Uh, emotionally and physically and mentally demanding. So you got to be in the right mindset and physically uh, ready for it as well because it can be pretty challenging on folks. Got it.
0: Well, Eric, I really appreciate this conversation today. I think it can help a lot of people. Um, And yeah, I just really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation on highly functional Before I go, I wanna talk to you about my rope climb training program. In order to climb a rope efficiently and effectively, you need both strength and proper technique. If you have one without the other, it's gonna be a lot more difficult to climb, you're gonna use a lot more energy and you have more chance of failing. So if you wanna be more efficient with your rope climbs in order to have more chance of success at your next race, pick up my rope climb training program. You can check it out at getyourfixpt.com slash courses, along with all my other online programs. Thanks again for tuning in today, and now it's time to go out and be highly functional.